Hi, everybody from my upstairs room, which currently doesn't have electricity. Thank you, Spain Electricity. This is the this yeah. is the this is the uh, Rabbit Trails podcast. What what are we doing here, Eric? Well, we you know we we kind of had a, a great conversation about leadership uh, our last podcast, and we I think we kind of wanted to keep keep that going, but maybe talk to some people who who were wise and maybe have a little bit more experience. Uh, and, and see what they think too. So I think we'll talk about a little bit about leadership with our good friend, Gary Run. Gary Run, welcome to the Rabbit Trails podcast, buddy. Deep, yeah, from nice. deep in the heart of Texas. That's deep right. in the heart. But yeah, I'm so grateful to be with you guys. Of course, we co-labor together and it's been yeah. a while since we connected. It was really fun. Gary, I, I think the first time I ever met you, I was probably a newly minted intern and they were my first memory of you. Yeah, right, here we go. Yeah, I may, we may have met before was at that uh, conference center in Germany where we used to do briefings. Yes. And you had gone out for a run. And then I think my second memory of you is you came over because we were doing a church partnership with crew at that at that point. And you came over to kind of talk to us about things. And I remember you you didn't correct me, but you definitely were kind of like, hey, don't be so good arrogant. <laughs> <laughs> or something to that effect. And ever since then, ever since then, Gary, Gary, you have poured into my life in a terrible measure. And I, seriously, I, I, there really is. Um, I was telling someone the other day, I don't remember the, the situation, but I was, I was excited you were coming on the podcast. And um, I can't tell you the number of times that you have, the number of hours that you've given to me to pour into me and to, to talk about things. But whenever I was kind of like, man, it's so muddled in my head right now, I got to talk to Gary and he'll straighten this out. And usually after about 10 minutes of you listen to me drone on about whatever it, or what felt like emotional leadership vomit you would go, well, here's the themes that I'm picking up. And I'd be like, oh my gosh, you just put words to what's been going around my head. So no pressure, but we expect <laughs> that this is going to be a fantastic podcast. Yeah. yeah. Oh, thanks. So G Gary, you were on staff how many years with, with crew? With camp yeah, technically crew? 41 years and still wow. affiliate staff. Okay. Uh, so kept an affiliate status, but full-time supported staff for 41 years. Wow. Um, That's amazing. Crazy. And you, you were in a you variety were of roles, right? Yeah. Yeah. I started at the University of Tennessee, was there for three years, uh, became the campus director at the University of Oklahoma and was there for seven where I met my Boomer wife. Sooner. Boomer Sooner. Uh, and then moved to Austin the first time. We've lived here three different times, but came here uh, in an old framework. I was the area director for the state of Texas. Then that changed and uh, became one of the regional directors for a four state region. Uh, Took a hiatus, went up to Chicago, did a little seminary, came back to Austin uh, for several years, then took a longer hiatus to move to Italy, <laughs> was there for five years, came back to Austin, and then served with the city division, which was a new division back in 2011, and did that for 10 years. Uh, and then, yeah, just recently uh, transitioned over to launching my own leadership development effort, but still maintaining my affiliate status with the group. Mm -hmm. And what is it? What is the name of your leadership development initiative that you're you're doing? Yeah, the firm is called Vacari Leadership, which just is it's a Latin term. It just means to call or to summon, and that's really kind of reflects my heart. I really want to call leadership out of people, and often say my my passion is to unleash leaders worthy of being followed. Mm -hmm. And so, okay. uh, trying that, trying that on. 
So, so maybe that's a good starting point right there because that that that's a question. I think it's it's a, it's a question a lot of people have about leadership. Gary is, are leaders born or are they made? You know, I mean, that's that gets thrown around a lot. Um, yeah, and I think that you know it's, it sounds like a cop out, but I think the easy answer is yes, um, because I, it depends on how you define leadership, and this is where mm-hmm. I think we often trip over what that means, you know, whether they're 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 born or or made. Uh, or call or made, we can put it either way. But if you define leadership at its core around influence, which almost every definition I know of, and there's a thousand of them, usually the word influence is in there somewhere. Mm-hmm. Uh, so whether you have natural influence abilities and natural leadership skills, that may determine the level of your influence. But I actually think it's within the ability of anybody to steward good influence and therefore be a leader. Mm-hmm. Now, whether they rise in organizations and carry heavier and weightier titles, you know, that that may flow a little bit more along the lines of some gifting or the ability uh, to have a pathway where you've accumulated or acquired a lot of confidence to be able to lead in those areas. Yeah. But I think that I think it's both. I don't I don't think it's only natural leaders that rise to the top for sure. Mm-hmm. Um, so I think it can be both. When, when you were, you've often told me when, when you were in Italy, uh, you, it was, you, you said something like basically you, you had to unlearn everything you had learned in 20 years of ministry and, and start from scratch. What, what were some of the, it, something roughly, am I, am I in the ballpark on that? On yeah, that? for sure. What were some of the, what were some of the uh, leadership kind of how did you grow as a leader in those years that you were in 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 Italy yeah how did it help you change maybe some of where you look at leadership now Mm because I know in your story that that was a well semi-influential yeah I would even drop back uh, Barrett to trying to make the decision to come to Europe and to come to Italy uh, because I think this really is influential when you think about leadership seasons of life and so some of y'all know Eric Swanson who's been somewhat of a mentor from afar for me over the course of my crew career. And I I was, I, I sensed a season of change. I'd, mm-hmm. I'd done the, the regional level thing for 14 years in the campus ministry. Um, I felt like it was time for fresh eyes and fresh blood in that role. Uh, there was somebody that could take my spot and I felt like I needed some freshness. You know, it was time to make a change, but I wasn't sure what it was. And Eric gave me two metaphors, which he is, which he often does, but both resonated with me when I was in that season. One, he said, you know, every leader, uh, they get a whiteboard and they fill it up over the course of a particular leadership role or maybe a leadership season of their life. And it and it gets to a point you can't just keep erasing and refilling. You've got to get a clean whiteboard. You gotta you gotta have a whole new whiteboard uh, so that you can start over and your learning stays fresh and you fill it up again. That made sense to me because I felt like, yeah, my whiteboard is completely full. I don't know if I have anything more to offer this role. And I think I'm getting a little stagnant and stale. Mm. His other analogy was, he said, he talked about a, a sailboat. He said, well, you know, a lot of leaders always sail inside of the shore. So, but that's not fresh faith. And so you've got to sail out far enough where you can't see the shore. Mm. And that therefore, you know, and both his analogies combined, he said, listen, what this amounts to is gaining fresh face, fresh faith and a fresh voice. You, know, you need a clean whiteboard. You need to sail away from the shore. And I, honestly, the Lord used that to 
uh, I should say too, my wife came to the conclusion within about four weeks that we should move to Italy. It took me about three months. <laughs> One of the things that leveraged that was some of the words that Eric gave me and that that really made sense to me. And I, I've come to find now that I think leaders probably go through more than one season, probably several seasons where there's the need for a clean whiteboard and to sail away from the shore. And, you know, for that whole purpose of gaining a, a, gaining a fresh faith, how am I going to trust the Lord anew mm. and, and fresh and gain a, therefore gain a fresh voice? So then going back to your question, Barrett, I think I was still naive coming in Italy, even though that launched me towards Italy. Uh, I think I was bringing a lot to the table, you know, and then I showed up at the table and thought, okay, I, I don't know anything. Um, Italy was just different enough. Europe was different enough. Uh, the context in which religion is expressed and sits within the nation of Italy and maybe the Southern, probably include the Southern Mediterranean, um, Southern Europe, but it, uh, I realized, that, okay, this is not only a clean whiteboard, this is a gigantic clean whiteboard. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Like, I don't even know what corner to start in. And so mm -hmm. it, it began, I would say, and this I do think is a, a very powerful leadership trait, and I probably taught it before I lived it. I'm, I'm sure you guys have ever done that. Uh, <laughs> yeah. but, but around the concept of just thorough listening, you know, I, mm -hmm. I would have said I was a decent listener, but I'm not sure I was. And when I got to Europe, I was I was trying to listen to anybody and everybody. It didn't matter if they knew Christ or didn't know Christ, if they were in the church or some other part of society. I needed to not only understand culture, but I needed to understand leadership in that culture. Mm. And it doesn't mean that you, I don't think, necessarily acquiesce to the leadership style of any culture. There's good and bad leadership culture in every country, every context. But but I didn't remotely understand. You know, in America, we're very pragmatic. We're very bottom line. Uh, we're very practical. At least in Italy, it's very generational. Uh, it's funny, I would have similar conversations every day with students, and they would say, well, you know, we have a 2000 history with this. This is yeah. why it's true. We have 2000 mm -hmm. years to back up our... And and the, the conversation was always, well, you know, and they'd always act like I knew, you know, the Pope and Berlusconi, who was the prime minister at the time, um and the mafia they're all in bed together that that's who leads our country and they do it together and like you know i didn't know what to do with that yeah but what they would always then come back with was and we have two thousand years to back it up and so even to think about history and that longevity mm -hmm. we can't do that in the u.s we only have what 250 years you know or, so there's <laughs> there's no way to really mm -hmm. uh grasp that context i just realized from day one if i didn't become a good listener and kind of as best I could see with fresh eyes, my leadership was actually kind of probably going to be more damaging than helpful. Mm. So how did how did you know I got to listen? Like, like that kind of goes to the you know leadership yeah, is taught versus 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 known because you figured it out. But was there was there someone who was saying, hey, you know, had you read it in literature? You know, like you had the you had the theory in your tool belt, but you didn't you didn't do it or is it just intuition or what, you know, or was it just, yeah, I just, I, I lost out. I, I ran out of options. Yeah. Good question. No, I'm, I'm not that smart. It was from about 90 days of just utter failure. <laughs> right on the front end. Mm -hmm. You, you got to remember, if you guys remember when we came back into Italy, uh, there were only, I think six Italian staff at the time in the country. Yeah. We wisely or not brought in about 60 plus Americans within about an 18 month window 
so we didn't hardly have anybody to talk to that had a lot of leadership experience. There were some long timers there, but they were they were just excited for fresh energy and help. Um, so we were just talking to ourselves. But when you all of a sudden go out every day in the ministry and the mission field and you're banging your head against the wall, and even the few students that we had gathered looked at us like, I'm not following that. Yeah. I'm not playing your playbook. And I mean, I just realized within 90 to 120 days, like, okay, I, I don't know what I'm talking about. Mm -hmm. So I would say, Barrett, it flowed much more out of just, okay, everything that I've been picking up for, honestly, at that point, about 25 years in crew was kind of out the window, probably not at a principal level, but certainly at a practical mm -hmm. practitioner level, it had to change. Would you say I'm, I'm kind of, I'm fairly convinced that I want you to affirm my opinion here, please. Uh, <laughs> no, no, no. So get, get, tell me what you think. But sometimes I think our greatest wins can be our, our Achilles heel because it, it prepares us to think that this is what's going to work always. And that may not necessarily be the case given the circumstances that we're stepping into. Yes. I think we get locked into paradigms instead of principles. Yeah. Mm -hmm. We can get locked into strategies instead of principles. And actually it was Javier Garcia, we know well, um, Javier challenged me one day to always principalize my leadership learning because mm -hmm. he said, well, principles will travel and principles tend to last and principles are able to be contextualized. Mm. Uh, specific strategies or paradigms, you tend to lock into them, but they came from one context. and They don't often travel very well. Yeah. So Javier really helped me in that thinking mm. too, that if we can principalize leadership, and, and that's what I had to fall back on, because even as I was listening to people, you know, everything you hear doesn't mean it's spot on. Like, obviously, the mafia and the pope and, and Pearl yeah. Sony were not all leading the country. Not, not quite. Uh, but it, but there were some principles there that I needed to grasp from them. And then there were some principles I had acquired I needed to apply to the situation. But it took a while to figure that out. And what were those bedrock principles that could travel? Um, and obviously, it did force me also back to scripture what are those mm -hmm. what are those transcendent principles in the word of god that's living and active versus just my american principles that largely were 20th century principles and aren't even working very well in this country anymore in the 21st century yeah. you know so uh, yeah, yeah, i think it had to be a conflation of some of those things to figure out what to do there's I, i've got so many ideas and like just this this concept because we've all been i think the three of us being Americans, having gone to Europe, we've all been in that moment of, whoa, what, what do we do? But then I, I, it also made me think of the the situation that often happens, um, probably more so in the mission field, right? Where you're given, I remember uh, when um, I was offered with Nacho Marquez and Samuel Palacios to, to run, you know, help run Agape Spain, Nacho being the national director, but given that role or even given the role of national campus director and it was just, you were given the role and there was very, so, so I, I think this is probably a, a lot of people get dropped into roles sometimes either they're given the wrong playbook or not given a playbook. So, so what, what I'm hearing you is for, for what you would advise someone who's in that role, in that position where they're starting square one, not really sure what to do. I think you you would say one thing you need to do is listen, right? And but what would what would be some other things that would be really helpful for a leader? Because I think this happens a lot more than we want to admit. Because um, and I think we'll get to this a little later. Is 
how we how we even talk about leadership sometimes i don't necessarily feel within maybe evangelical world or mission world is 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 very helpful sometimes we we, yeah. we tend to talk about roles but but going back to just when if you've got someone you drop in somewhere in the middle of europe or you're given a role where do you, where do you start Let's say, for example, someone moved from Sweden to Spain, <laughs> to, to, to Galicia, had, to start a camp, to start a um, no, no, yeah, Camino <laughs> ministry alongside <laughs> helping to launch a campus ministry. I mean, I don't know. She has two kids no. and a redheaded wife. What What would you say? There's <laughs> <laughs> yeah, a friend of mine. Northern Europe is not Southern Europe, is it? No. Um, the yin and yang of Europe, man. <laughs> <laughs> it's a really good question, Gary. Because I, I think you actually teased out two things. There's there's the cross-cultural piece, which the three mm-hmm. of us have experienced. But then there's also the um I'm trying to get the right phrase. There's the there's the rise in leadership. All of a sudden mm-hmm. you start leading also at a different level of scope and responsibility. Mm-hmm. That takes change too. And I find some people aren't uh they take how they led local into how you lead national. That doesn't go well either. Yeah, you can't you can't be a micromanager at the national level like maybe you were at the local level. Um, yeah, I do think listening is a is a huge lead foot. Do you understand your context? Uh, do you know the leadership stories around you? Do you know the mm. leadership stories of the people reporting to you? Because every leader and everybody you're leading is just it's a person, right? And it uh, they come with a story and they come with a journey of blessings and wounds. And for me to assume that I can lead everybody uh, one way is a mistake. Now, again, if you can lead principally and according to the organizational DNA, there's a, there's a, there's a playing field. Uh, but I can't lead people exactly the same just because of their, who they are and their journey. Uh, I'll borrow a marathoning term too. That's always helped me. And that is what I often tell young leaders or leaders in new levels of leadership, uh, slow is fast. Biggest mistake every marathoner makes, especially first time, second time marathoners, they get out too fast. And so mm-hmm. they're all excited. They've got a lot of adrenaline. And then they hit, everybody hits the wall, right? So there's another principle. Everybody hits the wall in a marathon. It's just where do you hit the wall? Well, you want to hit it in your early 20s, you know, mile 20, 21, 22. You've got just enough to get to mile 26. But if you hit it at mile 13, you're done. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's usually, you know, all of a sudden you, people don't realize that they're five miles out and they've been running seven minute miles and their pace for training was nine minute miles the whole time. So they're doomed. Same thing in leadership. I think sometimes we're so either organizationally we're pressed for results or personally we're pressed to validate our own leadership. Mm. And so those two pressures, I think, can make us go fast instead of slow. And yet, I would argue slow is fast. I still think about one, to give you a quick anecdote. I ran one year, I ran the Austin Marathon three or four times, but I, I can't remember if it was the second or third time. But it really ticked me off early on when this guy with this giant sombrero on passed me. I'm like, no way should a guy with a giant sombrero beat me. <laughs> yeah. And, uh, Lo and behold, you know, about mile 22, I caught him and passed him because he was gassed. You know, he had nothing else to give. He was flying in the first 10 miles. And the goal isn't to necessarily, you know, be the leader that wins, whatever that means. Yeah. But I do think if you want to be effective and if you want to lead long, then slow is fast. Listening is king. Um, learning to principalize leadership like we were talking about a minute ago. I think that's huge can you drop your paradigms and your strategies and reimagine 
at a principal level what it might look like now. One of the other things I'm learning more and more in this season of my leadership life um, is, is discernment. Mm. Uh, I'm learning there's two sides to that coin. I think we tend to think of discernment as decision-making, and that's usually what I want. I want a fact or a decision that I can cleanly make. But I think the other side of the coin, when we think of spiritual leadership, is are we really genuinely willing to draw close to the Lord and as one writer who's informing me put it, notice God everywhere and be willing to receive what he offers, mm. which is built on intimacy. Like that's mm-hmm. not, a, I'm finding that's pushing my prayer life and pushing my internal listening ears, so to speak. And I realize I'm not a very good noticer. I don't notice well. Mm. And then I don't know if I'm always willing to receive you know, what the Lord has next. And I don't just mean by assignment, it could be very daily, the next conversation, the next thought, the next leadership execution, whatever it is. Um, so I'm, I'm, I'm trying to encourage leaders to lean into discernment more and not just, again, at least a U.S. style, what's pragmatic, what's effective, mm-hmm. whatever that means, uh, what's quick, what produces results. You know, a lot of times those results are kind of short term. So anyway, we, we tend we bit. tend to like sexy results too, which is can be yeah. incredibly yeah. dangerous. Yeah. Gary, yeah. you when you're mentioning those things, discernment and you mentioned prayer life and you know, thinking about and receiving, those are those are internal lives of the leader, you know, uh is is one way to put it. What for for the leaders that you're encountering these days, are you uh, there's lots of ways to ask this question, but basically are you encouraged or discouraged by the state of uh, the internal life of, of the leader? Oh, wow. Um, I see, this would probably be overly simplistic, but I see one uh, growing need in the life of uh, Christian leaders, no matter what realm they're leading in. And then I see one major shift that's taking place. And I think the shift Maybe they're both more worldwide than I know, but it's very pronounced here. Um, one great, great need is for self-leadership. So going back to the internal piece. Uh, and honestly, you know, where we used to see, a, and I don't know how you, I guess you could qualify any of this as moral failure, but where we used to see a lot of failure around sexuality, and that's still going on in the U.S., now we're seeing more failure around the abuse of power. Mm. And so this ability to deal well with power and authority, uh, we've lost our moorings a little bit, I mm. think, here. And that's that's as prominent in the church world as it is outside the church world, even if you're a Christian leader. So that has a lot of internal work, I think, that has to be. It's not that, you know, I, the overreaction I see is that sometimes organizations will just discount. Well, let's not talk about authority. Authority is a dirty word. Let's just not focus on power. It's like, well, no, that's crazy because. If you have a title position, it rightly should come with authority and power. The issue is yeah. not the authority and power are inherently wrong or bad. It's how we deal with authority and power. Um, but I think this gets back to self-leadership, and I'm watching more and more leaders have a, a real dearth of self-awareness. They're, we're losing self-awareness. And I'm not mm. sure if it's busyness that's producing that or the success quotient that's producing that or just natural growth. I'm not sure 
was driving that. The shift, and Garrick, you kind of mentioned this earlier. Clearly, if you're talking with leaders or, or let's say those that are direct reports kind of 35 and under, um, they're looking for far more empathetic leadership, more authentic leadership, and they're hitching their wagon more to purpose than let's take the let's take the for-profit world for a minute. They're they're much more interested in the purpose of this entity or this organization than they are even promotion and salary. Um, but they are looking for development too. They're looking for a pathway of growth. So if you take think empathy, authenticity, growth, and purpose. Mm -hmm. um, and I think a lot of that's come out of the pandemic, mm. or at least it's been amplified. Mm -hmm. And so some of that might fit the not-for-profit world, but um, you know, it used to be people just want to know where can I get more money, where can I get more recognition, and yeah. that's not what they're crying out for now. And there seems to be a structural shift, especially yeah. in younger leaders, which are the next big leaders, right? Yeah. So I don't know what that means, but I think we yeah. got to pay attention to it. Gary, you you got me started on a, a little bit of a journey several years ago uh, through your doctoral dissertation and thinking about servant leadership, you know, and I think the thing that that continually surprised me was that there was more literature. Maybe this is maybe a bad reading on my part, but I, I found it was easier to track down really good information and really good resources and literature from Harvard Business School, from Wharton on servant leadership than out of my my the the resources I was getting. And so those resources I was getting in the in the evangelical world weren't necessarily bad. But they were very focused on roles, skills. What are you going to do? And didn't talk a lot about what I, what you see now in, in in the business world is relationships, trust, um, serving others. You know, uh, I mean, the big the, Simon Sinek's eaters uh, eaters 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 lead last. Leaders eat last. You know that 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 kind of or you know a lot of stuff coming out of military um, leadership stuff is all about you know. You know, and and so, and I had a conversation with recently with a, a, a business leader, um, a Spanish Catalan business leader, um, who who's a believer, and he 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 felt the same way. He felt like there's there's something that has we've missed the mark. I, I don't know if you would agree with that. I don't, I don't know what you you see. Um, I know there's there are some great Christian resources that focus on that, but I think as you said, people are are you know it it leadership is relational. And it's personal and it's how we identify and understand ourselves personally. And so that needs to really be our focus. And it, it feels like a lot of times it's like, no, these are the, the checklists of the things you do to, to be a leader. And, and so I feel I've always felt kind of really tense with some of that material because it just it didn't answer my deeper questions as a leader. Um, so so that's, you know, you kind of got me started on that. What, what, what do you think? Does that sound resonate with you? And, and... Yeah, very much. Um... I think, you know, and maybe it, and there, there's a history of leadership theory, you know, it, mm -hmm. uh, and you see this even in the scriptures, but it kind of began even in modern times, modern meaning going back to the 1800s. Uh, you know, we, we, a lot of leadership was around what we'd call the great man theory. And everyone, every, both those words are important. Great man <laughs> uh, theory, you know, and so you still see evidence of that today, whether you want to look at Kim Jong-un or, or what Putin's doing in Russia, there's 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 one strong man that rises to the top and everything's to support that man. Uh, but we've gone through several iterations now, you know, and it and it it's moved through whether it was the mechanistic world and kind of the industrial age and 
leadership became more about efficiency than effectiveness and just kind of cranking it out as quick as you could, the same thing over and over again. Uh, servant leadership, we, you know, Robert Greenleaf is always yep. attributed with kind of being the popularizer in the late 70s and beyond who came out of the AT&T world, who was a Quaker, by the way, and did adhere to the Quaker faith pretty rigorously, but was influenced with some Asian writing, too, on his theory of, um, of servant leadership. But he began to popularize it in probably more of the secular world. Uh, but I still think we were missing some things. And, and you, to your point, I think we tend to still sometimes value competency over character. We can tend to value results over process. Um, and so we, we, we miss people and people still become pretty utilitarian. Those mm -hmm. now I'm thinking of the people underneath leaders. And then I think that sets up leaders for um, hoarding power. Yeah. I can put it that way, um, missing on some of the character elements. They're, the, the two, um, I mentioned power is one, pro, one really problematic issue I see in Christian leaders today. I would say the other one, this is this is not new, but I think it's gotten more amplified too, and it's still the isolation issue that leaders mm. can't bring themselves into community, uh, safe community where they can kind of be known for their good, bad, and ugly. I still think those are the two primary problems. So, yes, I think servant leadership that that has to begin with good self-leadership. That's why, I'm, you know, in my dissertation, the, the three metaphors, and it usually surprises yeah. people yeah. that when I talk about servant, I'm talking about the vertical. Yeah. That uh, if we're, and I just see this throughout scripture, you just, uh, almost every place where you see a servant of the Lord, or Paul goes more strongly on a slave of Christ. Um, he's referring to that first and foremost, I am surrendered to there is one greater than me. Yeah. And not only am I surrendered and submitted to him, but I also need to get to know him intimately. And so the servant leadership model, I think for us as followers of Jesus doesn't begin there. Then how we shepherd and how we steward probably doesn't have much of a chance over the long haul. Because mm -hmm. either we're failing on the interior side and we're going to burn out or crash out or eventually, you know, our idols are going to rear their heads and we're going to become those that abuse others too, whether it's with power or more subtle ways, just kind of gentle manipulation or, but we'll become abusive leaders at some point because it's more about us than about yeah. looking out. We're, lo we're looking, again, we're either trying to validate our leadership or please those above us rather than trying to please Christ and, and serve those around us. How does a leader... I've got like 20 questions. Darn it. I'm not going to be able to. <laughs> I don't have 20 answers. <laughs> uh, no, no, you do, Gary. You're doing, you're doing good, Gary, so far. You're doing good, buddy. You keep it, you keep it up. Um, no, I, how does a, how does a, well, how does any leader, um, I guess, I guess part of my story is the realization, and I think this is part of every missionary story. You get to a certain point in your life and you go, oh, maybe I became a missionary not for the most pure of theological reasons. Like maybe maybe there were ulterior motives that were a little selfish and maybe foolish or whatever. And yet God in his grace uses those and yeah. he allows us to be a part of his story in bringing people to his son, which is really great. Um, but how does someone 
how does someone begin to grow in that self-awareness? Like what are we, we have, you know, for, well, we got leaders of all ages. Uh, and I, here's what I say. I say people of all ages who listen to this podcast. So some people don't like to even call themselves leaders, but let's just say people, how does one grow in awareness to the point where they realize, you know, maybe not in the most Puritan of sense, you know, total depravity and carry that to self-flagellation, but but you know, how, you 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 understand what I'm getting at. How does one grow in that? Well, one thing I want to amplify that you mentioned too: it's a journey, right? And there is a lot of grace, mm, and yeah. we all do things for pure and impure motives. Uh, and as leaders, that can certainly be true. Um, so, the grace of God, we we're in desperate need all the time, and it is a journey, and we don't ever arrive at one. In one sense, it's it's a uh, matter of fact, if we think we do, that's probably the first red flag. So mm. just to say that, you know, that's a great question, too, uh, Barrett. I I think there's at least two or three components to self-awareness that matter. Um, one is a steady diet in the scriptures for scripture's sake. What I mean by that is you're not prepping for the next thing. And it's, mm. I think it's a very strong danger for Christian leaders to, oh, this will preach to <laughs> yeah. you know and it's always somebody other than yourself um and it's just the nature sometimes of a busy frantic life where we do have to deliver on a number of fronts and it's just easy to uh, make the scriptures transactional too rather than transformative but I, so i think first we have to let that scripture be the honest mirror on our own lives and are we actually paying attention to, you know i'm in the prophets right now my reading plan and i don't know how many times i've read the prophets i've been in isaiah and jeremiah but i've probably quite a bit but i I'm, i've been shocked all over again uh, in my own life. And then I'm kind of looking at it, the life of our nation. Mm. I'm speaking of the U.S. So I, uh, that's got to be one piece. I think a second piece was what I was mentioning earlier. You know, as you rise in leadership, we know there's a gravitational pull towards isolation. And again, you can be friends with a lot of peer leaders, but you know what I mean when I'm saying, are you, are, are you, do you know and are you fully known? Is there that safe place, at least with a few on a regular basis, where you're super honest and you not only can you confess your sins, but others can point out your sins <laughs> freely? Um, I think you have to have that community mirror. So there's the mirror of scripture, there's the community mirror where you're looking at yourself. Um, and then if there's a third overall piece I do think of, and it's probably one of the reasons I have two or three life verses, but certainly one of them is Romans 12, 1 and 2. That uh, if we're not living that surrendered life as best we know how on a daily basis, mm -hmm. and again, no perfection, we're we are you know hard to excuse to say yeah the only problem with living sacrifices it tends to crawl off the altar all the time. <laughs> and I would affirm that. <laughs> so, uh, but I think that posture of yes, I want to be the surrendered leader. I'm going to make that choice daily. It's not one thing I did at a conference somewhere. It's a daily choice to surrender again. Then I think that posture, if the other two are mirrors, the mirror of scripture, the mirror of close community, then I think there's a posture that of surrender as best we understand it, which the only way I've defined it is, um, I've even said the spirit-filled life, I think it's I think it's surrendering all of I know to me today, all, all I know about me today to all that I know about God today. Meaning that could change tomorrow because now I know mm -hmm. something worse about me tomorrow and I know something greater about God tomorrow. And so I think even the spirit-filled life is just that ever-unfolding journey of continuing to surrender all I know about me to all I know about him. And both are growing in knowledge. One's growing in depravity. You know, understanding my depravity. The other one's probably understanding his holiness. But 
I think that posture really matters too when it comes to self-awareness. Mm. Yeah. You mentioned, you mentioned in that our, our hectic lives, um, there's a famous or what I consider famous uh, time life book, uh, coffee table book from, I don't know how it's, it's old now. It might've been from the seventies or eighties, but it was called the, the frenzy of renown. And there, it was to, it was the history of it was a pictorial history of America, and that that describes America well. Um, but I also think it describes, I think it, in some sense, it describes modern life well. But let's just say, let's just take the word frenzy or or hectic, the pace at which we move. Uh, do you do you? How does a leader? How important is it for a leader to slow down? And and how have you found ways? to help in that endeavor. Uh, for me personally, um, I, I, I learned a big, a big part of my journey this, these last few years has been realizing and the, the community of Santiago helped me realize that was you can only walk so fast. And if you walk too fast, you burn out on this thing really quickly. Um, that I, as a human, I'm limited, but we don't seem to teach that to leaders that, Hey, mm-hmm. you're, you're limited you're not going to, I mean, we do and we don't, right. We, we say it from up front and a devotional every now and then, but at the end of the day, we expect superhero status with the, the budget of um, a small developing country. So how do you, how do you, I don't know. Uh, let's go back to that. How do you slow down? How does a leader slow down, develop that? And how have you found if you have any, any ways of your own life to, to, to realize that? Yeah, another great question. Yeah, I hear just a, a few thoughts, but um, you guys speak into this. I One thing you highlighted, Barrett, which I think is super important, I feel like the Lord's been bringing this back to mind. Uh, one of the things I'm noticing throughout Scripture, and maybe I'm coming late to the table, is that there is a rhythm and a pace that really matters. Uh, the rhythm is daily, and the pace is a walk. Mm-hmm. And I don't think that's just because it was said in the ancient Near East. I think God, it's it, I, it's just left off the pages of Scripture to me recently that everything's daily and walking. Mm-hmm. It's not running. It's not monthly or yearly. It's daily. And I, I think the Lord in his sovereignty did that to transcend time and to keep informing us that the rhythm of spiritual leadership and therefore spiritual practices is daily and it's a walk. Mm. But to your point, uh, one of the things I tell leaders, I'm seeing this, you know, I'm, I'm getting old. I'm 65. Oh, man. Uh, yeah. I look pretty good, don't I? You look great. <laughs> if you're 65, that, that means I'm old. That means I'm right, old, yeah. too. I just set the bar for you guys. Yeah. yeah. Um, but, it, and I tell, I find this for me, and I'm telling, um, I'm telling any leaders that are kind of 40, 45 and beyond, that I think the older you get in leadership, counterintuitively, you need more time to reflect and retreat so one of the things i teach in my leader development cohorts is um one of the huge practices that's unique i think to leaders what i'm still trying to figure this out i'd love for you guys to speak into this i keep wondering what are unique spiritual disciplines for leaders because we know a lot of spiritual disciplines for any follower of christ and those would all apply to leaders but i'm wondering if there's some unique ones for leaders but one thing I'm at least emphasizing, it, it may not be totally unique to leaders, uh, more time to reflect and retreat, more, more, more. And Barrett, I don't know any other way to get around it except choose to do so. Yeah. 
Uh, I still think we end up doing what we choose to do largely, even as leaders. And so one of the fascinating things that's come out of the pandemic, and you may have, I don't know how, if this is true in Europe, but in the U.S., um, corporate sabbaticals are becoming very popular. Mm -hmm. And I'm watching more pastors finally take sabbaticals too. Yeah. And so actually it's been a part of my business. I didn't intend for it to be, but people have reached out and say, will you coach me through my sabbatical? So I've been in the midst yeah. of putting together a few tools and coaching pieces that could help uh, beginning, middle and end somebody through a sabbatical uh, if they're a follower of Christ, but regardless of their sphere of leadership, because I, I, what I'm seeing is nobody knows how to do that well. Yeah. Uh, if nobody really knows how to reflect and retreat well. Mm -hmm. And so for me, you know, and I don't think this is true for everybody. I am a more, um, I'm certainly an internal processor. I'm slightly extroverted. So, you know, once I've been alone for a while, I've got to run back out and get with people. And then once I've done that for a while, I've got to run back. And get alone. <laughs> like I'm not, I'm kind of in the middle, even on Myers-Briggs, but, um, but I, I, so I, I, it takes alone time for me. It takes more extended alone time than I've ever realized. Uh, I have to write. I have to put pen to paper, not fingers to keyboard. I learn, I learn and retain better if I, so I still keep, as a matter of fact, I still have my journals from Italy. I bought a bunch before I left. <laughs> so I'm still putting pen to paper. I don't journal every day, but I probably do two or three times a week. And sometimes it's a sentence. Sometimes it's five pages, you know, it, anything in between, but I'm even carving out more time daily mm. than I used to. And so that's, that's around scripture. That's just around a good book. That's around journaling. It's around prayer walking. Uh, I like being outdoors. That ministers to me, being outside. So I, I, I'm encouraging leaders to find what gives them life mm -hmm. and helps them connect with God intimately but I'm telling them they've got to create more space and they've got to develop some habit of reflection, whatever it looks like, whether you're recording in a, your, your iPhone recording piece or, you know, you're, or you're writing down or whatever it is, it will help you say things out loud, get things out of you and retain them. I, I just mm -hmm. think it's got to be true. And I, I didn't feel that need as a younger leader, um, but I feel it very pronounced these days. And, and I think it does feel counterintuitive to many leaders. Yeah. Well, and so that's that's a little bit of my question. Sorry, Garrick, I'm going to jump oh, on you. That's right. You, you can come on, come in on this briefly. My, I guess part of my wondering. So I, I still meet with with some leaders uh, who have blessed me and honored me, even though I've left Sweden. They have said, "Hey, would could we continue to meet?" And I'm honored to do that. So these are younger guys who are amazing, amazing guys. Um, and sometimes I wonder as I'm giving them kind of my, you know, hey, don't do what I did or any you know, wisdom that I have, part of me sometimes wonders how how much of the mistakes I made were avoidable and how much of it was, yeah, I wasn't going to pay attention until I hit a certain age and was willing to listen, so to speak. Do you think that sometimes like you're learning, hey, I need to spend more time and, and thought. Is it possible to teach a young person, a young Gary run that? Like, can you, do you think it would have been possible to go back and say, hey, Gary, I, I found, I found the key. You need to spend more time <laughs> writing in your journal, you know, and, and less time watching Alabama football, yeah. uh, you know, or, or whatever else. Do you think that that's, <laughs> do you think that that's possible? Or do you think that it's kind of like, well, maybe it's possible, but maybe, maybe it's always going to be less than i don't you know i think what's possible and is is, is necessary is to introduce them to the concept and the practice mm -hmm. um you, you remember this because you you know even a crew we were, were kind of known for having taking days with the lord but i remember as a young staff guy probably even my first 10 years on staff 
I had no idea what to do with a whole day. Like there, I can't like, okay, I read a, I read a chapter of scripture. Now what do I do? You know, like, yeah. That yeah. Took eight minutes. You know, like, um, so I think you have to, I think you have to work that out over time. And I think the, as you grow in Christ and the older you get, you do know how to use that time. And you probably sense more freedom to use that time in ways that actually ministers to you and not according to formula. But I would, I would really argue strongly for introducing those concepts as early as possible. The, the concepts of reflection and retreat. And even if you say re- retreat doesn't have to be a solitary endeavor. As a matter of fact, it can be really rich. Take, let me take two or three of my best friends that we're all on the same page. We know each other well. Let's go retreat together. Yeah. But, you know, we can separate in the daytime and let's have huge conversations at night. You know, so I think there's a lot of ways to do it, but I would I would definitely introduce it early, even if they have no idea what to do with it. And I don't think you can script it for them, but just get them thinking that way. Yeah, yeah. I, th- I think this is this. What, so this is another one of those things where I've seen it played out a lot in non-Christian literature about about leadership. I cannot remember the name of the book we read, read in my demon program, but it was a book on leadership about thinking and about the need for leaders to create time, carve time out. And it, it, it had, it, it, I think it was like kind of, uh, you know, inter- interviews with varying different leaders, military business and how they spent time. And then, and then just more and more I'm seeing and, or have seen Dan, Dan Rockwall's a guy, he's got the leadership freak blog. He's got great, really great stuff about leadership. But one thing he talks about is, is the need for sabbatical, the need for, for personal retreat, uh, and, and he's he's talking to business leaders. I think he's I, I do think he's a believer. Yeah, um, but he talks he talks about how his mentor said, "Hey, we're going on a, on a retreat, and this is what you, this is part of your job. Part of your job it, as a leader, as a business leader, is to do these things." And so, what I find interesting, along even with the servant leadership, is that the the, the these practices, which are Christian, right? This this isn't essentially Christian, which in some sense then we say are essentially human, but they are now being seen as essential practices, you know, ser- service and then, you know, taking time away as as a as a leader, having a hobby. You know, that's another thing that you hear a lot. You need to have hobbies. You need and and so I I find it fascinating that we're kind of going back to what Jesus was talking about in a lot of ways of, of of sabbatical, of getting away, of being with the Father. Um, I mean, he did, he modeled that, you know, very well. And then, and now, you know, really getting back to the, now the early church fathers, monasticism in some sense, it's, it's somewhere in there, right? That's that idea we, you know, uh, we don't need to go away forever, but there's some practices there, I think, that 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 we can learn from um, that have been around for a long time of us getting to a quieter place. I, I, w- I would, you know, just because it's pertinent here, but the Camino de Santiago, I think, you know, is another, this ability to disconnect from the regular world and, and whether it's alone or with a bunch of friends, go out and you know walk for for a couple of weeks or a week. So I, I I just find this fascinating that the that you know the business world is encountering these these practices, these values, and saying no, this is this this is what's gonna this is what drives productivity uh, more so. And maybe we as Christians need to remember no, this is this is from us actually this and wow. and. And rest drives productivity and and yes. and retreat drives productivity. Uh, yeah, I think you're spot on, Derek. And it, it is interesting because I think it does get back to our humanness that, that we're, we are created beings. We're not the creators, yeah. so we don't have infinite capacity. And I think the pandemic has really mm-hmm. 
exacerbated this because it was interesting. A few months ago, I was talking to uh, the CEO of St. David's Healthcare, which is a significant hospital system here in Central Texas, asked me to come speak. He's a member of our church, and he had me in front of his top 40 leaders. And, you know, this probably goes without saying, but at least in the U.S., probably around the world, education and healthcare are probably the most stressed labor force in the yeah. world right now <laughs> coming out of the pandemic. And so here's a bunch of healthcare leaders who had been going 24-7 for two years, pretty much. Yeah. Uh, they were absolutely shot, you know. And so uh, when I, I so I, he, he said, okay, you can't talk, you know, directly about Jesus, but feel free to sprinkle in whatever you can. So I did a, I talked about leading in the wilderness. Mm-hmm. And so I used shepherding analogies and I kind of, I didn't quite go to scripture, but I all but did. But it was amazing to see them if you even gave them a little bit of permission, which I had my friend's permission to do, like, hey, lead up. Do you need ex- you need extended time? Do you need, and not just to sleep, but to think, to consider, to yeah. evaluate, to, <laughs> to sit like, what happened to me over these last two years? And what kind of leader am I now? Because yeah. it, it, around the room, they all agreed, this changed me as a leader. Mm. It was safe for good and bad. Yeah. <laughs> Some cases they were more cynical about some aspects. Some cases they were more empathetic. Mm-hmm. But yes. And I would say this too. Um, another reason I think sabbatical and reflection and retreat are getting more important uh, or maybe coming back around is important. One of the things I've been telling leaders lately is I think a leader's greatest currency is communication. Mm-hmm. But then if their greatest currency is communication, then I think the two big buckets and where you place that, and one makes sense and one maybe, maybe they both make sense. But I talk a lot about voice and presence. So voice is not only the words you use, it's how you use it, it's when you use it, it's the mediums in which you use it, whether it's a text or an email or verbal or, and then presence I think is huge right now. And my whole point is you can't show up with, Good communication and certainly not good voice and presence if you're not a restoring leader, meaning you're being restored on a regular yeah. basis. Your your presence is going to stink. Your voice is going to be fuzzy and muffled yeah. and maybe harsh. I mean, I don't think there's any way to live out a leader, a strong leadership presence if you're not if you're not being regularly restored. Mm-hmm. Yeah, was it was it Larry Crabb who once said that? If you're coming to ministry empty, it's manipulation. Yeah, I think that's true of leadership too. If you're if yeah. you're if you're you know if you're coming to it needing it to fulfill you or or something or or even yeah. to if you're empty again to validate your own yeah then, then you just end up manipulating people. Um, yeah. So I, I recently this goes back to the you know theory of the great man of of history sort of thing. Uh, I, I recently watched the dark, the movie, The Darkest Hour, uh, about Winston Churchill and his rise to power and leadership in, in World War II, and you know, great leader, all that stuff. Leader for the time, let's say he was a terrible leader in any other circumstance. Uh, <laughs> it was at times, but but <laughs> so what's interesting to me, you, our mutual friend Michael Meditol and I talk about this, about the impossibility of the task that most missionaries have. So it's, yeah. not, just, it's not just to tell the world about Jesus. That's an impossible yeah. task in and of itself. But the amount of, uh, especially within large organizations, so it may be different in small organizations, but the amount of scope, uh, emails, administrative, vision, all the things that 
a person. So I was the director of a ministry with 30, 35 people. And um, I booked my own flights. I, all the things that, to be honest, a church of a, who has a church staff, a, a pastor of a, an executive pastor of a church that has 35 staff is going to have one to two executive assistants who are, who are doing things. So the, just the amount of that gets put on, I would say in particular religious leaders, because I think pastors in Spain and around Europe tend to fall into this. There's, there's not capacity to help those people. What, what do you, what do you, what would you say to people in those positions who feel the weight of mm. an enormous vision that's great and good, but utterly impossible to achieve what do you say to those people who are in those situations about how do you lead in that? Because you're just not going to succeed <laughs> from a, from an earthly standpoint, maybe. Yeah. Yeah. I don't, there isn't a clean answer, is there? I don't think, but it, I think part of leadership is always, yeah. Part of leadership is always learning to live and lead in the tensions. If you can't live and lead in the tensions, you probably shouldn't lead because to try and, solve the tension uh all you can do is go to one end or the other you it's it's unsolvable either so in your scenario what you described there either you'll just do the easiest thing which is i'm going to double down on all the administrative stuff i'm going to make sure all the administration stuff's taken care of because that requires probably the least faith and it's it's the to-do list and you can kind of see progress that way and everything else in ministry is people oriented and you can't, you rarely get to see the progress or the fruit or the, you just work the process all the time uh, as best you know how as a, as a person. So I think if you're not able to navigate that tension and and sense both your freedom in the Lord and your security in the Lord that, hey, some days are completely administrative and some days I'm going to keep staying out on the edge of my faith and I haven't seen anybody come to faith in six months, but I'm going back out again today and I don't know how she'd get there. I think it has to be somewhere that kind of holy, healthy tension of of staying true to the calling and the task, and yet knowing you've got to cover 10 different fronts just to keep that float. I, I don't know what you do other than, but I think all leadership's like that, actually. Even if you have a lot of help, like I'm a part of a very large church now, and we're three different campuses, about 5,000 people. There's about 90 staff, uh, but our, my senior pastor and I talk pretty regularly, and he has an outstanding uh, assistant, and he has an ex outstanding executive pastor that takes care of most of the details, but he still feels that same tension. I just don't think you can escape, and there's, I don't know, there, there may be, I don't know if there's 10 or a dozen of those tensions that you could probably articulate, but I just don't know if you escape. It's just trying to navigate them day by day and not fall prone to just kicking one tension, one side of it and going away and I'll just live on the other side. Mm -hmm. I think that would be the mistake. Mm -hmm. You mentioned- It's hard. hard. Yeah, yeah. Uh, you, you mentioned earlier, new whiteboard uh, further out from C. When, when's the right time to leave? When's the right time to stay? Oh, wow. I mean, Gary, I'm pulling out all the stops, buddy. I mean, you said yes, and you know, you regret it. Well, first, you're probably talking to somebody that's a little slow to leave. Like, I always say I'm about 10 years late to everything. I, 10 years late to marriage, 10 years late to parenting, 10 years late to uh, I trust in God's economy. That's not true, but it feels that way sometimes. 
so I'm not sure I'm great at this, but I, I think there's two sides to the equation. There's probably more, it's probably more nuanced than this. But um, so I just went through a transition, right, to walk away from full-time staff. And it was, a, I told everybody, it was about a two-year decision for me. And you've heard this described before, so this isn't new, but it was that um, holy discontent. Um, not not mad at crew, not mad at the leadership of crew. Uh, I had to, I had to, you know, in our little window of the U.S. and you know some of the things that were going on, I had to overly communicate. This has nothing to do with what's currently happening or you know how the leaders are leading. Um, this is just God's leading me. But I just realized for me, it came to a point was. Um, I'd risen as high as I was going to rise. Not that leadership was ever about that, but it's just a reality. Um, I wasn't, I, I think this is true for every leader. I think there's a proper narrowing that takes place, probably should begin in your mid thirties where you go from these 50 things I've been trained to do to these four or five things uh, I'm good at. <laughs> and then eventually these one or two things I must do. And so I think even calling goes with competency and with passion and begins to narrow down. And I was just realizing that my heart was so much to help leaders lead well. And yet within our organization where I was serving in the organization, uh, I was, I was feel like I was trying to do it in a closet mm -hmm. and there just wasn't room or space to do that in ways that I felt like actually needed to be done. And it wasn't that it wasn't bad crew, Gary, great. His thinking, it's just no crew has a very good system and it is their system and it's not going to change. We're a large organization and I could keep preaching that. I just felt like there were some other things I needed to do. And so the way I've often described it is for me, it was a narrowing of focus, but actually an increase of scope. Mm. One of the fun things has just been getting, meeting all kinds of new nonprofits and new leaders everywhere that I had no idea existed because mm. my world was my world. You know, it was kind of the crew world. So mm -hmm. There's that, there's that side of where I think uh, there's a proper narrowing and where's my best contribution in the final couple of laps around, you know, the, the track. Um, I think the other side of it is, is, you know, this is more the story of when I moved to Italy and stepping out of my regional role. When is it just that I've given all I can give? It wasn't time to leave crew, but this role needs fresh blood, fresh eyes, mm -hmm. fresh ears. They've gotten everything they can get out of me. I did it for 14 years. I, again, I probably did it a little too long, honestly. Mm -hmm. Like I think, I think the leaders under me might have even said that in that window. They probably said, "Yeah, I think I know everything you're going to say before you're going to say it." And they they needed somebody else to step in. It was good for the region. It was good for the ministerial effort in that season for fresh blood, fresh eyes, fresh ears, fresh thinking. I I had given everything I could to that setting. So there, there's the organizational side and your role. And when is it just, I've done everything I can do and time for somebody else. And then when is it that, okay, actually this is so constraining to me that I'm not, I'm now, not, I'm now not able to live out my core calling mm -hmm. in this particular context. So on the, on the one hand, I, those are, those and there's are massive awesome. sin. That'd be the other thing. <laughs> yeah. I, I think, I think your, your answer to that is just incredibly wise. I, I wonder it seems to me that sometimes I've observed, and maybe I even stayed too long in, in Sweden, so I'm, I wouldn't be immune of this, but leaders have a really hard, well, on two planes, leaders seem to have a hard time catching that, hey, I think I've given all that I can give. It's and, hard. And, and to steward even that leadership to say, someone else needs to come in with new ideas. But I, I've also seen 
Um, I've also seen organizations continue to promote people who've given their all long time ago. And, and that seems to be not a healthy thing too. So it's, it's a two edged thing. Like we, we promote people beyond their, their really gift set or, or, or whatever. And that can be a, a mistake of leadership. Yeah. That's not personal leadership. That's more organizational leadership. And I'm not asking yeah. you to speak into that necessarily. I'm just kind no, of think it's true. observation that we do. Yeah, I'd agree. And I think another thing is sometimes why it's challenging for a leader to self um, correct and say, I've, I've done what I can do. Uh, I think it's twofold. One, well, maybe threefold. One, we're, we're comfortable and we know how to do the current role really well. You know, at some, some, at some point in time, regardless of the problems around you, there's always problems. You, you kind of know how to do this job well. Yeah. Uh, two, I don't think most leaders deal well with loss. And every time you make a change, there's loss. There's loss in your identity. I still remember when I stepped out of the regional one, I already declared I was going to Italy. I went back to the Christmas conference for the last time in Dallas, Fort Worth. And I was only six months removed out of my role, you know, and the region has celebrated me and it was this fun time. And I went back in there and I sat in the middle of the Arboretum, don't know the Arboretum in downtown Dallas. And not a soul came up to me, not a soul said a word to me. I I was a ghost. <laughs> and I remember how I just thought, okay, I just experienced what, you know, being uh, out of the role feels like. You know, I somebody's taking my place, rightly so, and I'd even engineered that, and I don't matter anymore. And And as it should be, but sitting there that day, I felt really empty. Mm. And it kind of tells you something. It tells you, again, I don't know how well we deal with loss, but also the reality there always is loss. There's now loss of reputation, loss of kind of validation again, loss of what you're used to doing. And But I think it's that clean whiteboard mentality gets you back out there. There's more to learn. There's more to trust the Lord for. I've probably gotten way too comfortable in that role. Mm. Yeah, but you're right. Organizationally, we can mess it up too. Barrett, um, I stayed too long in Sweden. Sounds like a a great title to a song or, a, or an album. <laughs> My solo album's coming out. Yeah, yeah. Coming out I, soon. Uh, that's it. It's that funny, Gary. Your country song. Yeah, you're talking about that, Gary. It's like I'm I'm living that right. The loss of identity. Wow, the yeah. loss of uh, you know. My kids are living it because they were the yes. you know everything. And so yeah, we're we're all going through that. And how yeah. many? And it and it you know and Charmaine Lillstrand often says you know in the new setting. I forgot how we were talking about this one day. She goes, you know, Gary, you're just new and you're not new anymore. Mm-hmm. And I shook my head and I'm like, Charmaine, that, that's utterly true and utterly unhelpful. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Well, so, so you've, you've brought up Charmaine Lillistrand, a fabulous, fantastic female leader. One of the things that I've always appreciated about you is your appreciation, uh, as a, as a male leader, but for women leaders and your empowering of younger women leaders around you. Um, I got to see it firsthand here in Europe and, uh, my wife, my wife would, would, uh, second that. Yeah. And my wife as well. Um, you have often observed, this is more of an open-ended question and you take it where you want it, but you've often observed that uh, women's careers slash leadership, is, is has a different necessarily trajectory than than men oftentimes. Uh, can you speak into that a little bit? Because I, I just don't think we hear enough of that. And you've been a great observer of that. Uh, I think it's, it's less heart attacks. 
so, so. <laughs> but just a cold cold reality yeah uh yeah well thanks for saying that that's very kind i um you know it's funny i don't want to answer too long i think this goes back to my days when i was a student at alabama and i had summer jobs and christmas jobs like most of us and one of mine was in a bank in birmingham I was in the credit card department and I was the only guy in that department. So there's about 15 women and me. <laughs> and I, I think it actually, I didn't know it at the time. I think it was a junior or senior. I might've been senior. can't remember now, but I think what it was good for me is, was to be the other. Mm. Um, and it was really hard. And I'm sure I did some stupid things while I was there. I was not that old in the Lord either, but, uh, but it did stick with me because I watched how uh, and some of those women had been in that same role for 10, 15, 20 years. They were never getting promoted. They weren't deemed valuable, even though they were stout people. Like they knew what they were doing and they were experts in their field. And there were some really good leaders in there. Um, but I think that actually began to form that thinking. I, I think what you're referencing, and this came out of some research I did on finishing well during my doctoral stuff, um, and uh, I think this research base, I think it makes a lot of sense, especially in a Western context, but um, maybe maybe generically anywhere in the world. Men tend to think uh, we have this deceptive nature to think in our leadership, it's always onward and upward. Mm. And, and we just think that's going to be the way it is until we die, until it isn't true anymore. Because <laughs> it's, it's not true, and it's somewhere there is no more onward and upward. And either you plateau and you you reinvent or reimagine or do something, but it's not it's not that. Uh, women have have faced this much earlier, and so there's a woman I studied it was a Harvard prof, uh, Dr. Laura Nash, and she's one of the few I've seen that have written to this. I think she's a, a believer actually. Uh, she talks about for men, it's kind of this straight line until they hit the wall. And it is kind of this upward mobility because culture honors that and men have a little easier path. Women, she would say, have kind of this, this uh, path of concentric circles and kind of like a spiral. And, and a lot of it's dictated by society. Uh, so they may start a career and then there's the first baby. And she would say this is true whether you stay in the corporate world or in the working world or not. So even if you, let's say for sure, those who go home and say, well, I'm going to be a stay-at-home mom, you know, um, that can be a whole different trajectory. But even for those that she would say stay in the working world, this is still true. And she describes it as a, a series of stops and starts. And then what happens is, I think it's so interestingly from a finishing well standpoint, that the proverbial midlife crisis actually hits both genders about the same time, just by age. So men reach their late 40s, early 50s, they're no longer rising. You know, and they're no longer, you know, they've kind of peaked out. And, and uh, the, what she would say is the most profound emotional question is that men often say, what happened? And this is when they often get crazy and make dumb decisions and, you know, new wife, new car, whatever. But, but women emerge at the same time and say, who am I? Mm -hmm. And so they actually are all of a sudden free. She usually happens around empty nest, kids going off to college. Last one gets out the door, at least to college. Also, often again, late 40s, early 50s. And then all of a sudden women have the first chance to kind of let the waterline drop to here and say, well, I don't know who I am anymore. Even if I've been in the working world, I've kind of been on this treadmill. But for the first time, I'm freed up emotionally and maybe mm -hmm. physically to peek over the hedges. And what do I do now? I have a lot of energy and I want to give. 
And she says, that's often where you see women take off in their leadership, which is about the exact same time men tend to plateau in leadership. Uh, and she makes the case like, hey, husbands, start cheering on your wives. Maybe one of your best roles is to elevate their leadership and not necessarily take a backseat as far as your contribution, but maybe your contribution looks different. And I think mm -hmm. that's where men should narrow. Sometimes it's a chance for women to explore. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So I've, I've bounced this around with a bunch of women leaders, and I have not found anybody that's argued with me yet. Mm. <laughs> and it's not my research. It's it's her exploring. Mm -hmm. So, so in the... In the medical community, they're starting to realize that a lot of the studies that they'd based, you know, human bodily physical behavior response and everything off of was, was very limited because it never included females in the original studies. And so now they're revisiting, trying to do a lot of studies with females entering in, especially, you know, just all, all sorts of crazy stuff um, and realizing, wow. wow, we just never did that. Do you think that a lot of the thinking about leadership or development mm. is male centric in that way? And that we need to do some rethinking on, well, how, how do Great we've, got, we've got people outside of that kind of trajectory or power dynamic or whatever, whatever the yeah. right term is, I'll throw out more words to sound intelligent later. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, I think we have to be a little careful. I think it's twofold. Most of our training, and this is true inside of ministry too, my observation. Uh, one, we tend to train the title. Mm. If you don't get another title, you don't get any more training on leadership. Mm -hmm. Unless you just speak it out for yourself. But I mean, organization, yeah. uh, most organizations don't tend to keep that development path going unless you get a new job. And then even then, it may be, you know, it gets kind of more and more slight. So yes, I think, so that's one side. The other side is I do think we tend to um, default to gender. The only thing we have to be careful of is that some of those competencies and ways of thinking uh, obviously supersede gender. In other words, male or female could think strategically. Working. Right. So there's a little bit of a tendency, not only do we tend to train, I think, to men, uh, we also tend to leave women out thinking, well, they're going to be too emotional, so they can't problem solve in crisis. Which you know, now the research is showing actually women are better in crisis than men. Yeah, and I think some of that's because of the emotional burdens they carry all the time that we tend to objectify and leave at home. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> like, yeah. hey, she's got the kids if they're late, or you know, I'm on my own. So yeah. you know, the research is starting to prove this wrong. So I think we've got to yes, that's your answer. I think we've got to both figure out how to tailor our development to both genders, but also make sure we're not over simplifying and say well only women can do this and only men can do that right right yeah but how we train too i think that's a piece of it it's not just the what yeah. but the how. um yeah so I, I i think you're right i think we've got to figure some things out mm. um gary can you give us some uh some information about vocare and, and what you're doing now and if anyone would like to get a hold of you how, yeah. how they could do that or um yeah, love to. so um yeah you know it's interesting i'm still um i'll tell you what my three primary offerings are and then it's funny what's still coming to me and what i'm learning so i i don't know if it's settled yet exactly but essentially uh, i have three primary offerings one is coaching so leadership coaching of which i do quite a bit of um and so that is usually because leaders want uh, coaching and they approach me. Uh, I don't do anything less than 90 days because you don't see change in the life of a leader and less than that. And probably that's even stretching it. So usually 
I'll do 120, 180 day contracts at a minimum, sometimes a year long. And that's usually meeting twice a month. Um, so with kind of assignments as well as just the coaching sessions. The other thing is more team leadership and helping teams. And so primarily I use uh, Strengths Finders and Core Clarity, if you're yeah. familiar with Core Clarity, but using Strengths Finders to be an entree into that realm of leading teams well and getting to better team collaboration, team effectiveness. So, but I also aim it at the leader and how to lead team better. So I use that as a primary entry point, but do a fair amount around even team formation. I'm finding a lot of people don't form teams well. Most teams have no clear team purpose. They don't know why they're a team. Mm. Uh, so therefore, that usually those teams that don't have a clear team purpose are also the ones that have four-hour meetings and kills, <laughs> yeah. kills the team because you know? so, they don't know why they're there. And nobody's actually ever defined why they're there. So do some work around that. And then uh, probably the piece I enjoy the most is uh, a, a leader development cohort piece. It can be either nine or 12 months in length. Uh can be men and women. And I coach men and women, by the way. Um, so that either way. But but the cohort piece is based on my, my metaphor model. So servant, shepherd, steward, mm -hmm. uh, start with the heart, look at character, do eventually work out to competencies in each of those three metaphors. Uh, it, it meets physically once a month, but then it has a coaching session with me uh, every month. It has a peer accountability piece every month. And has a fair amount of homework every month. But we meet for a whole day each month, mm -hmm. either virtually or physically. And that, and usually, actually, I think the 12 month piece is better, but I also do a nine month piece just some, sometimes because the summers are messy. You yeah. ever think about throwing a capstone thing for that, uh, for that piece in of a uh, walking the Camino? Just, I mean, I'm just saying, you know. Yeah, no, I love to. I know I have thought about that. Yeah. Um, Bring it on. Matter of fact, it's we we know guy. some people can help you set that up. Yeah, I know. I know a guy. <laughs> I know a guy. Funny, I just, there's two guys recently. So one guy was approaching me about coaching him through a sabbatical. I'm not even sure he knows the Lord, but he's coming to our church. And uh, he walked, he just he said it on his own. He'd already set it up. He goes, yeah, I'm going to the community of Santiago. Have you ever heard of it? I'm like, yes. Yeah. <laughs> so he spent about a month over there somewhere. And I don't know what, and then from there, he was going to Southeast Asia. I thought, oh, that's a huge mistake. <laughs> just for a guy that, you know, recently divorced on his uh, own. Like, oh, I don't know if this is going to go well. So yeah, I'm still yeah. trying to chase him down. But also just ran out part of this little, uh, I'm, the, I'm the weak member of it, but it's a little academic cohort on missiology through Southeastern Seminary. Oh, cool. Um, it's actually it's actually the lead of it. It's called something called the Kirby Lang Center out of, uh, oh, yeah. out of England. So I'm not leading it. I'm just a member of it. But there's a guy and he walks the Camino yearly. And he's mm. a, he's a, a seminary professor in South Carolina. So it's kind of fun. I've just kind of come back up to the surface. But I'd love... I love an experiential element because I think the experiential is what we tend to miss sometimes in leader development too, yeah. is that we, we do a lot of content mm -hmm. and not much shoulder to shoulder experience. Yeah. Mm -hmm. yep. And there's a, a website, correct, Gary, if, if people want to check yeah, out. Bocari leadership.com. It's just B O C A R E leadership.com. Mm -hmm. And that'll get you to me and, and everything I just mentioned. Yeah. And it's got a, uh, a fancy blog too going. Oh, cool. That. Oh, I need to, I need to check that out. Try to write twice a month. Doesn't always happen. Listen, uh, for <laughs> anyone out there listening to Gary, you know, yeah. just from this podcast, uh, it's worth the time yeah. uh, to contact and to, to glean from wisdom. Gary, I, this has only whetted my appetite yeah. to talk to you more. 
Um, so we may have to have you back on soon. Yeah. Fun. I just love I talking to you guys. This is I fun. feel yeah. like I feel like so whenever I have this little thing that plays out in my head of if you've ever seen the movie Anchorman, they're sitting around the the, the conference table and uh, the the leader says uh, the network wants more diversity. Diversity? What's that? And Ron Burgundy says. Uh, I might be wrong, but I think it's an old, old wooden ship used in the Civil War times. <laughs> anyway, I kind of feel like when people throw out the word leadership, like I, I kind of feel like people, most people think leadership is an old, old wooden ship uh, used yeah. in, the, in the Civil War era. And you bring so much clarity to that. So yeah. much appreciated. Uh, you, There's a lot of, I mean, I even have a degree in christian leadership and i'm not really sure that it ever really addressed <laughs> what leadership was you know that says nothing of my of my degree it was a great degree but i just think there's a lot of noise out there and you yeah. always bring such clarity to that um and focus you're a you're a great arranger Amen. of things uh, oh, knowing that that's on your strength finder so um so thank you for your time for your yeah. wisdom uh for what you do and um well, I don't know. Let's talk Camino in the future, my friend. Yeah. Yes, and I, 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 you know, to take us out, Jerry, what, what, one, one fun question, uh, just because we, we, we are a kind of a European centered podcast, but what do you miss most about life Ooh. in Florence, Italy? Oh my gosh. The food. The food. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I'll, I'll never go to Olive Garden ever, ever, ever. Again. <laughs> Any other Italian chain in the U S yeah. like, I don't know Italians are in the back kitchen or at least first gener second generation or something. <laughs> Once you tasted real Italian, probably yeah. like you can't yeah. do that anywhere else. So yeah, I miss yeah. the food and just the simplicity. Probably miss a little bit of the slowness. You know, at the time, the slowness of Italian life drove me crazy. Mm -hmm. um, but there's a beauty to it too. Yeah, uh, there's a beauty to the two-hour lunch and the three-hour dinner. And but at least we ate at eight o'clock and not at ten o'clock like you guys. <laughs> yeah we i may go i may go after this and have a you know a light tired. meal <laughs> a little, yeah. yeah well gary we can't thank you enough my yeah friend. this is brilliant uh thank you and we'll we'll have you back on and um next time i pass through austin i'm gonna i'm gonna look you up we'll go get a, Please a, do. Please a taco do. yes we'll yeah. get, it's the place to go start with breakfast tacos and get lunch tacos uh, yeah, exactly. Just taco our way through the day. Through Tuesday. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> all right. Well, guys, uh, huge pleasure. And uh, yeah, we'll, Garrick, we'll talk to you soon, buddy. And Gary, thank Sounds you so good. much. Yeah, thanks, guys. So good to see you. Love it. Yeah, good to see you, man. Ciao.